This show is supported by State Farm. You have insurance for your home, your health, and your car. Why don't you have insurance for your small business? So many small business owners think they don't need or don't even know about small business insurance. Protecting a source of revenue is one thing, but so is protecting all of your hard work and your team members. State Farm agents are all small business owners too, so they know how to help small business owners choose personalized policies that fit their budgets. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today. Hi folks, be sure to visit my website at dr-history.com for a short personal video message, to listen to the latest stories, and to leave a comment. Right now a man that comes in every time with a cold nose... Hello, Dr. History. How are you? I'm good, Zeb. Good morning. How are you, my dear Great. friend? Great. It's a beautiful day out there. The sun's shining. The harvest is in full swing. I just passed a field where the corn had been cut, and there were probably a thousand geese out there oh, nibbling yeah. on the corn. Oh, yeah. And then the smell of corn silage, hey, it doesn't get any better. You know, if, if fall would just transition into spring, I could stand it. <laughs> I agree. I agree. I just don't like what's coming later. Yes. <laughs> uh, by the way, uh, compliments. Uh, had a call uh, after last week's program. It was really interesting the way you put that story out. What are we going to talk about this week? Well, we've talked about cattle drives a yep. few times, and I've kind of got another little twist on that story about uh, the trail, uh, you know, the troubles that come along and what they put up with. And there's a guy we're going to talk about, and some of this is in his own words, and the guy's name is Saul West. Saul West? Saul. Go first, West. first name is Saul. Go West, young Saul West. <laughs> yes, and he did. So the cattle trade, okay, in the 1870s was a big business, bringing fantastic returns to many and bankruptcy to others, just like today, yeah. right? There was something about it that uh, was pretty incredible. Uh, It ran into millions of dollars, and a business conducted largely on credit. There were no mortgages, uh, no notes. A man's word and a tally of the number of cattle turned over to him was the only bond that existed between buyer and seller. Holy Now, could you do that today? No, I don't think you'd want to take a chance. So, anyway, uh, you know, there's a lot of men out there that uh, acted either as individuals or they... Uh, became partners, partnerships, and annually sent tens of, literally tens of thousands of longhorns across the Red River bound for uh, the Kansas cow towns. Uh, there was guys named Millet and Mayberry that sent a hundred thousand head to Dodge and Oglala in 1876. A <clears throat> hundred thousand. Wow. I mean, that's a lot of, a lot of herds. Oh, well, that's, that's, a lot lot of, of, that's a lot of trail dust. That's a lot of cattle. That's a lot of something else on the trail. <laughs> but in speaking of the cattle they had on the trail uh, that year, one old-timer uh, said, quote, they were strung out almost from San Antonio to Kansas. Mm. So you can imagine. I mean, they were almost like a continuous cattle drive. But anyway, in the beginning, it was cattle from their own ranches that they drove north, but their operation soon got to be too big for that, and they became buyers rather than producers of livestock. That way, you don't have the trouble of having them die during the winter, you know, so you just buy from other people. But they were, in effect, the middlemen of the cattle trade. And they bought in Texas, put the road brand on the herd, uh, which they assembled, which might actually be wearing a dozen different ranch brands, and turned them over to their trail bosses. And it was their authority, which was absolute 
uh, rule until the cattle were delivered uh, wherever they were going. Mm -hmm. And by boat and train, the owners would be on hand in Abilene or Dodge when the herds arrived to dispose of them to the highest bidder. Now, I've got to ask you a question here. Um, a lot of people think, oh, the glory of a cattle drive. Now, you said they brought how many at one time? 100,000. That's just one company, that, one partnership. It, that's really hard for me to believe, and I'll tell you why. Because of the logistics of finding enough forage along the trail for 100,000 head. Yeah. Well, and, you know, they, they went you know in different individual herds yeah but still but look at look at how you cannot it's like the oregon trail the oregon right. trail isn't one trail right it's a mile wide at it, least. it had to be because of the they had oxen and horses that had to find forage and they couldn't find it on the trail right exactly um but you know uh, the, a man might buy a herd on credit using what little cash he had to cover the expenses of the drive and return to Texas three or four months later unable to meet his obligations uh, due to losses that happened in a dozen different ways and they shot him <laughs> not quite <laughs> okay. no remember this the time we're at he had no thought of defaulting on his what he owed. He always made it his first responsibility to honor his debts, and with his credit uh, unimpaired, he was able to do so. So they always, I mean, there may have been some, you know, that didn't, but for the yeah. most part, they took care of their debts. And they were, if those that didn't, they were found weighing a tree down. <laughs> they could have been. <laughs> but, you know, the usual arrangement between buyer and seller was a simple one. They agreed on a price per pound. The returns above that figure, less the expenses of the drive, were divided between them. Sometimes there was very little to divide. And I'm going to tell you a story about that. There's the case of this young man named Saul West. Okay, he was the younger brother of a guy named George West, who was an established cattleman. Now, Saul received a thousand steers on credit and started north with them on February 27th. Okay, keep in mind that date, February. Mm -hmm. Okay, 27th, 1874. Right. His troubles began almost soon as he crossed the Red River, and they continued until he reached Ellsworth on May 6th. So from February to May. Uh, when he crossed the Big Red at Red River, and that's kind of on the border between... Oklahoma and Texas. Yes. Yep. So, uh, but he was actually uh, one of the youngest men ever to boss a herd up the Chisholm Trail. Just yeah. a young man. Yeah. Well, and quote, he says, it was a trip with some adventure, considerable responsibility, and very little cash. Mm. He recalls some years later, long after the fortune had favored him, and he had become one of the foremost figures among Texas cattlemen. Okay, so, and here he says, quote, I was the first man to reach Ellsworth that spring, notwithstanding the trials and tribulations which beset us, and as a mark of their appreciation, the businessmen of the town presented me with a suit of clothes, hat, boots and in fact a new outfit entirely really <laughs> they bought him all these clothes well i've told you before Zed, some of those guys didn't change clothes from the time they left until yeah. they well it wasn't the cows they could smell coming <laughs> <No>. <laughs> anyway he says i stayed around there for a while selling a few steers here and there but anyway uh he goes back and talks about it he says we crossed red river without any mishap having had a splendid drive with clear open weather all the way but this was not to last long. Now, remember, we're back in February now. Yeah. He says, we pushed on north, and late in the afternoon, okay, now we're April 6th, he says, we reached a place called Rush Creek. 
He says the range had been burned off by the Indians and was black, being protected by two streams. So the grass between these two streams was good. So on other, the other side of each stream was burned, but the center section still had grass. Mm-hmm. And that's where they ran the cows. Okay. So he says, we stayed there for two days, and in the morning of the 8th, took an early start for a camp on a place called Hell Roaring Creek, about 15 miles farther north, which he says I had selected because both grass and water were good. He said the cook with the wagon had preceded us, but we got in sight of camp about 3 o'clock in the afternoon. The day had been a hard one, misting and snowing slightly all day with a brisk wind from the north, just as the head cattle came within about 100 yards of camp at the foot of some hills, the blizzard broke forth with increased fury. The cattle at once re- turned their heads to the south and began to drift with the wind. Uh-oh. I mean, you know what cows do. Yep. You know, they're not going to keep going head in, into no. uh, wind or hail. And or, this was February, you said. Well, now we're into about April, but still, it's oh, yeah. it's like winter. Yeah. So Saul keeps going. He says, I knew we were in for a bad night of it, and there was not a man in the outfit over 20 years old. He says, we held them back, the cattle, as best we could until after dark. Well, in the meantime, the horses ridden by the boys actually froze to death wow. while they're on their horse. Wow. He says, during our progress of about five miles, he said, my horse was the last to go down. Oh, my. So <laughs> I've been on horses in the mountains in snow and in wind, and but I, I've never been so bad that, uh, you know, a horse would freeze. Well, I can't even imagine. I mean, uh, you would think the humans. Right. Being yeah. uh, sitting on the horse, whereas the horse is getting the exercise. Yeah. So he goes on. He says, I had instructed the boys that when their horses went down, they should go back to camp. When I was forced to leave my horse, there were two men with me. He says, we finally got the cattle checked after the wind had subsided a little. And as we had not touched a bite to eat since early morning, we began to cast about for something to break our fast. He said, we each had a box of matches, but our hands were so numb that we could not strike one, even if we could have gotten the boxes out of our pockets. Oh, my goodness. You know, what about their feet? I get cold feet really bad in the wintertime. And I've been a horseback in the winter gathering cows, and boy, my feet, they get cold. They didn't have the luxuries that we have today. they didn't have Sorrel boots. No. So... Anyway, he goes on. He says, presently, I saw a light in the hills about two miles away. We started for it and reached the dugout for such it proved to be after a weary trudge of an hour or more. So now they're walking. Okay. In the snow. Yeah. Oh, boy. The dugout had two rooms, and the men took us in after we told them our hard luck story. They gave us a fine supper and put us to bed in the spare room with plenty of good warm bedding. Okay. The next morning at the at the peep of day, I roused out the boys. I found a dun pony under a shed on the outside with a bridle and saddle, uh, convenient, and I appropriated it. Now that's horse deal. <laughs> and told the boys to follow me down in the direction of the herd, provided it was where we had left it. I found the herd intact after one of the coldest nights I ever experienced. <clears throat> now keep in mind that appropriated horse. Yeah, stolen. <laughs> Okay. Anyway, soon after, and that was from the guys that fed him and put him in a warm bed that night. Yeah. So he goes on, he says, soon after I reached the herd, the other boys in sight, and we started the cattle back toward camp, the snow, sleet, and ice being a foot and a half deep, oh. Hell Roaring Creek and all the other streams in that section were frozen hard. This show is supported by State Farm. 
Insurance is a part of any solid financial plan. Making sure you have the important things in life covered is one of the best ways to give yourself a little breathing room when things go awry. It's important to protect not only your business, but yourself as a business owner and all current and future team members. State Farm agents know what it takes to run and protect a small business because State Farm agents are all small business owners and they live and work in your community. So they're deeply attuned to what's happening with other small businesses in your market. If you have a small business and are interested in making sure you're protected, reach out to your local State Farm agent to learn more about what you need. They'll help you find the right policy at the right price for your business. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today. We had traveled a couple of miles down the creek when I discovered a man on foot coming toward us. He proved to be a guy by the name of Al Fields. And he says he was known as my neighbor on the trail, having a herd just behind me. He was overjoyed to see me as he feared we had all frozen to death the night before. And he says all his horses and work oxen had frozen and his herd was scattered. So this is the herd right behind these guys. So when we finally reached camp, a guy named Jim Taylor, the man who had entertained us in the dugout the night before, and about 15 of his men were there. Uh (laughs) Uh-oh. How did you get my horse? Yeah. So he says, Taylor was not in a very good humor about the plan I had adopted to borrow his horse. (laughs) I thought that was funny. Anyway, I proved to be a good talker, however, and when I got through, Jim said he guessed $1.50 would be enough for the use of the horse. I told him that the price was cheap enough, but I didn't tell him there was only $0.10 in cash in the whole outfit. Uh I traded him some steers for three horses and a mule and included the (laughs) $1.50. You know, <laughs> you got to. I'm thinking. I'm figuring this okay, out. Okay. So yeah. anyway, included the dollar fifty. Yeah. Okay. So okay. In anyway, the net value. Yeah. Yeah. So Saul West troubles did not end there. However, for almost 24 hours, he had no word from the two men who were with the outfit's remuda of 65 horses. Going back about eight miles, he met the two men coming toward camp on foot. Uh-oh. Now these are the guys that had the remuda, the horses. Yeah, all of them. The whole 65 head had frozen to death in a space not much larger than an ordinary house. And the two boys had only saved themselves from like fate by building a fire in the blackjack timber and keeping it going all night. He says, we held the herd there for a couple of days with the three horses and the mule, and I traded some steers to the Indians for three more horses. We then started north and reached Ellsworth on May 20th. Mm -mm. Well, wait a minute, wait a minute. How did they get enough horses to finish the drive? They borrowed, uh, uh, well, they got some from some of the Indians. Oh, okay. But they only had like four, three horses and a mule now, you know, and what are they pulling the chuck wagon with? I I have a lot of questions about this story. Anyway, so it says of the 78 head of horses with which the outfit had left Texas, not one had survived that terrible blizzard of only four or five hours. It only was bad for four or five hours. You know, and I still question why the the men didn't have more problems. Yeah. I, it doesn't make sense to I, me. I, I don't know. I Unless they would get off and walk around and stomp their yeah, feet. and Still it, in the wet, their feet would yeah. be, oh, my goodness. Anyway, so anyway, eventually the cattle were sold. He said, I, I turned over to him the list of my receipts and expenditures of what cash I brought back with me, proceeded to figure up the results. I had to check it up very carefully so to be sure he had made no mistake. We had agreed on a price for the cattle when I started with them, and I was to have one half of all they brought over that price 
price. After deducting the expenses incident to the trip, the net profit on the year's work was $1.50. Oh, wait a minute. Stop. Oh, we're not done. That's the net profit? Yeah, yeah. That's And when my brother handed me the 75 cents, that was my half of the share. Uh, anyway, he says, I expected to buy a herd of my own to start a bank with it. <laughs> 75 cents. Holy Because he had to split it with his brother. Yeah. So, anyway, you know, accounts of horses and cattle freezing to death are, are numerous. Uh, the spring blizzard was most fatal of all. Uh, usually it struck with very little warning, and though it might last only a few hours, it caught the livestock when they were most vulnerable to sudden and extreme cold. A moving trail herd generated a lot of heat, especially if it was being held close. And you'd think that would keep them warm. But being warm, when they ran into a severe storm, they chilled quickly and seemed to lose their natural resistance to the extremes of the weather. Mm. And when caught out in the open in a driving hailstorm with 40-mile wind, uh, the only protection a man could find was to yank off his saddle and... turn your sa- they, Then they turned their cell phones <laughs> off. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry about that, folks. That's all right. The bonanza. Modern-day wonders. Yeah, anyway... Anyway, so he continues, he says, between the red and, and uh, or the overwhelming majority of the difficulties the trail drivers encountered took place after they crossed from Red River Station into Indian Territory, and there were a number of reasons uh, can be listed. First, the weather. In the spring, it was often unfavorable with sleet, hail, even snow and rain, which meant high water at the different crossings. And then there was the Indians, and there were the herds of buffalo and antelope that could not always be avoided. And I don't think people think about this, but a typical incident, there was a guy named Ben Borbrum's experience between the Cimarron and the Salt Fork of the Arkansas in 1871. And here's what he says. We went into the Chisholm Trail about three miles below Red River Station, Mm -hmm. and just as soon as we crossed Red River, all our stock seemed to go wild, especially the horses. Uh Uh-oh. Several herds lost heavily at that time by cattle and horses getting into the buffalo drifts. Or, or herds, uh-huh. which were at that season drifting northward. So these animals were, says, in countless numbers. In fact, the whole face of the earth seemed to be literally covered with them, all going in the same direction. Now, can you imagine? You got this herd of 1,500, 2,000 cows in a herd of maybe, I don't know, 10,000 buffalo. That's a mess. Yeah. That's not a herd. That's a mess. That's a mess. So anyway, it says the drovers were compelled to send men on ahead to keep them from stampeding the herds. Wow. Now, on a plane about halfway between the Red Fork and the Salt Fork, we had to stop our herds until a buffalo passed. Buffalo, horses, elk, deer, antelope, wolves, and some cattle were all mixed together. <laughs> yeah, go ahead and make the cut. <laughs> yeah. yeah, cut out those elk and yeah. those deer and those yeah. wolves. I never thought about that, though. Yeah, it's a mess. And you would think that the buffalo would have uh, turned tail and got out of there. Yeah. But uh, anyway, it took several hours for them to pass with our assistance so we could proceed on our journey. Wow. But the other thing, and we've talked about this before, the Indians wanted tribute in beef because you were passing over their land. Wanted tribute. In other words, they wanted a A ransom. Yes. (laughs) So, uh, you know, if their demands for a beef were not met, they would begin dogging a herd. That is, you know, kind of scattering them. And and, and they would take a few until they were paid off. But what the Indians most wanted were the horses. And when they would go after a trail outfit, they sized up its strength. And though they would uh, apparently be satisfied 
with the gift of a steer or two, they were likely to return that night if they felt they were strong enough in numbers and try to stampede the remuda, right. which wouldn't be that hard to do, I don't think, you no. know, because it's night. They can sneak in, yep. start yelling. All the horses take off, and they're going to get up. They're going to get a few. So, anyway, there's a guy named William Baxter Slaughter. I know we're about out of time, uh, but he talks about going in uh, into uh, with the Indians, and um, I know we're. Let's see. You know, when they plan these trail drives, though, really, how did they plan for the unknown? That you couldn't. No, you know. But he goes on to say that Indians along the trail continued to be a nuisance, begging for beef, but they had lost. Uh, they, uh, they, got, they didn't try to stampede the herds like they used to. So yeah. I guess they kind of came to an agreement, uh, you know. But, you know, a question often asked, uh, which no one can answer accurately, concerns the number of men actively engaged in trail driving between 1867 and 1885. And so they figured the average trail crew usually numbered between 10 and 12 men. Now, that's not very many. It's not very many people. Uh, And that includes the cook. Right. It would be safe to say that 3,500 men went up just in one year with 10 or 12. So that's a lot of herds. And in the peak years, the number might have been as high as 5,000 men herding cows. And like I said, sometimes the herd behind would catch up with the herd in front, right. and or right. you know it could be a total mess trying to separate not only the buffalo but even your own uh, your own herd from the herd and the elk and the deer and the wolves and, and the coyotes and everything else. Yeah, and the frozen oh. frozen horses laying out there on the. I can't even envision being. An, I, I don't like to be a, a horseback when it's cold anyway. No, but oh my goodness, that must have been pure heck. Well, I remember. Uh, going elk hunting and in the snow up to the horse's belly yeah. and sometimes we would get off and hold on to the horse's tail going up the trail and that the horse would pull us up the trail yeah well fording a river the same way yeah yeah so but we never forded anything that big oh uh, yeah <laughs> <laughs> they were just little streams you know doctor you did it again very interesting and we don't sometimes when we see the old tv reruns of rawhide we don't envision all the pitfalls that were out there. Yeah, they always pretty much show, you know, nice and warm. Yeah, head them up, move them out. Yeah. 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 Gil Favor, Roddy Yates. Oh, l- love that guy. Your phone's still beeping. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry about that. <laughs> Somebody wants me. Stay. W- yeah, I can't Probably imagine. Probably the police. Anyway, I want to... Thanks to State Farm for supporting this show and helping our listeners protect their businesses and lives. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today.